Great God of steadfast love, we study your works and delight in your ways. Illumine our understanding by your Holy Spirit that we may reverence your name, grow in your wisdom, and discern between good and evil. Amen. Our two lessons this morning are both concerned with civility. In the first, we are reminded of the incivility of war and the courage civility often calls forth. In the second lesson, we hear words of wisdom on how to recover civility. First lesson comes from the Hebrew Bible, the 31st chapter of 1 Samuel. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines, and many fell on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan and Abimadab and Malachisua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard upon Saul. The archers found him, and he was badly wounded by them. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, so that these uncircumcised may not come and thrust me through and make sport of me. But his armor-bearer was unwilling, for he was terrified. So Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. When his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons... And his armor-bearer and all his men died together on the same day. When the men of Israel, who were on the other side of the valley, and those beyond the Jordan, saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook their towns and fled. And the Philistines came and occupied them. The next day... When the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head, stripped off his armor, and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the houses of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Astarte. And they fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men set out, traveled all night long, and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Beth Shan. They came to Jabesh. And burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. In the letter to the Ephesians, reading from chapter 4, verse 25, through the second verse of chapter 5. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors. For we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, 
Do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing rather than let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts Be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A year ago today, the eyes of the nation were fixed on Charlottesville. Several hundred white supremacists, white nationalists, and neo-Nazis had descended on Charlottesville for a rally called Unite the Right. Hundreds more anti-protesters including many from various faith communities, filled the streets. As we remember all too well, vile speech filled the air. Pushing and shoving led to swinging and hitting. Civility and public debate and discourse was lost before the first protester mounted the steps to the lawn the night before. By the time the weekend was over, 38 people were injured. The soul of the nation was stained by the blood of three who were dead, including a young woman and two Virginia State troopers. And the heart of our nation was grieved. It was a terrible, sickening reminder of the loss of civility. Rodney King's famous line, Can't we all just get along? Was but a faint memory. And here we are a year later. And at Lafayette Park in Washington, D.C. It is deja vu all over again. A 2016 University of Chicago poll found that 74% of Americans think manners and behavior have deteriorated in the United States over the past several decades. A large majority of Americans believe that politicians should be held to a higher standard than the general public. But few think they are living up to that expectation. In an era of Twitter and 10-second sound bites. About all that comes through is name-calling, misrepresentation of another person's views, and headline-grabbing sensational lies. Getting along may not be the same thing as being civil, but if we are going to all get along, we need some recovery of civility. 
Writer and motivational speaker Lee Woodruff, in a piece entitled The Loss of Civility, writes, All around us in every corner of American life, we're witnessing the death of civility. It's a cocky sense of entitlement, a tone deafness to rude behavior that has been growing in strength like a tumor. The current political landscape, more slinging mud than talking solutions, feels like another tentacle wrapping itself around our collective conscious, cutting off the blood supply of decency. But here's the thing. When you cease being able to stand in someone else's shoes, you lose the ability to feel compassion. And that's where it gets a little dicey as a culture. The day after the tragic events of August 2017 in Charlottesville, Governor Terry McAuliffe addressed the Commonwealth and the nation, saying, What I'm asking you today to do is to put the anger aside as I did when I got up this morning, put it aside. Let us use hope. Let us use today to reach out to our fellow citizens. Let us show these people we are bigger than them. We are stronger than them. In a very different context, the author of Ephesians addressed this same kind of concern in his letter of 1900 years ago. In the letter, he begins with a statement of the gospel, what God has done for us. We are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians says. Having been given new life in Christ and sharing a common faith, we are all connected one with another. Then the author goes on to lay out what he thinks we should do in response to what God does for us. While his advice is rooted in an ancient context far removed from us, I think his words have a timeless character about them as well. For he suggests a pattern for the restoration of civility in the Christian community and in our families and in the larger social world. First, he says, putting away falsehood, let us speak the truth to neighbors. Speak the truth, the simple truth not some twisted negation of the truth, but as a familiar oath says, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Note the insight that you cannot selectively lie and at the same time tell the truth. It's one or the other. Earlier in the letter, our author put it this way, speak the truth in love. Second, he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. We get angry. And sometimes we should be angry. But once aroused and expressed, anger needs to be released. Let go of it. For your own health, for the health of your family, for the good of society. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Third, he says... Thieves give up stealing and work honestly so you can share something with the needy. I find it incredible that in a letter to the church, the author addresses thieves. 
Perhaps our author understands stealing in a very inclusive sense. So inclusive as to include all of us. Stealing, he suggests, includes anything less than a full work effort. And stealing includes stinginess. One of the reasons we work is so we can share with those who have little or have none. Think about it. How would our world be different if everyone worked hard and everyone who worked shared just a little of his or her abundance with the poor and hungry? Fourth, our writer says, let no evil come out of your mouth, no evil talk, but only affirming speech which builds up others. Our world would be a quieter place if all sarcasm and hateful talk ceased. And our world would be a melodious place if filled with a verbal symphony of words which encourage and comfort and build. Ephesians would agree with that little poem of Dorothy Law Nolte. If a child lives with criticism, he learns to condemn. If a child lives with shame... She learns to feel guilty. If a child lives with fairness, he learns justice. If a child lives with acceptance and friendship, he learns to find love in the world. And what works for a child works for all. And fifth, Ephesians says, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. I don't know of any more demonic force than the refusal to forgive another. To refuse to forgive hardens the heart, perverts the personality, and sours the soul. But to forgive, forget, and be done with it once and for all leads to life. Now sometimes forgiveness comes as easily as sitting with one you have offended and asking forgiveness usually the granting and receiving of forgiveness is hard work. Now, I think it's tempting to hear these five injunctions of Ephesians like they're the Ten Commandments updated and shortened for our modern world, or perhaps recast as a pop psychology with a Christian slant. They also sound like folk wisdom or common sense. And indeed, I think these words are self-authenticating, good advice. But they're more than that. They're more than good advice. These words from Ephesians are good news. They say something about the very nature of God. Our author concludes his advice by saying, do these, live with this kind of civility, and you will be imitators of God. In other words, the five directives not only are good in and of themselves, they are expressions of whom and what God is. According to the author of Ephesians, civility is an imitation of God. Do you want to be godly? Be civil. This summer we have heard selections from the Hebrew Bible narratives about Samuel, King Saul, and King David. There was no love lost between Saul and his successor, David. 
But the two rivals did have mutual respect and and even affection for each other. Saul met his death on the battlefield. Rather than be captured alive by the Philistines and used for his enemy's sport, Saul took his own life. Even so, his enemies would have displayed his body for ridicule and shame. Except for the valor of a few men who remembered what Saul had done for them in better days. Early in his career, Saul had rescued a city marked for total destruction by one of Israel's enemies. The men of the town never forgot Saul's commitment to them. So it is that when he died, and at great risk to their own lives and livelihoods, under the cover of darkness, the men took down Saul's body and gave it a proper burial in their own city. In an uncivil world, they dared to do the civil thing. As the children of God and the disciples of Jesus Christ, we too are called to do the civil thing in an uncivil world, to live with a civility anchored in Christian values, to be lovingly truthful with one another, to let go of our anger, to be honest and generous, to use only affirming speech, to be tenderhearted and forgiving, to seek to be imitators of God. That is our calling. And by what we do and who we are and the witness we bear, the world will know of the goodness and greatness of God. This summer's films include Won't You Be My Neighbor, a documentary on the life and legacy of Fred Rogers. A Presbyterian minister, in addition to being a groundbreaking producer and star in children's television, Fred Rogers often offered profound truth in the simplest of words. According to Fred Rogers, there are three ways to ultimate success. The first way is to be kind. The second way is to be kind. The third way is to be kind. In our most uncivil world, Fred Rogers offered a vision for how we might recover civility. Imagine, he said, what our neighbors would be like if each of us offered, as a matter of course, just one kind word to another person. There have been so many stories about the lack of courtesy, the impatience of today's world, road rage, and even restaurant rage. Sometimes all it takes is one kind word to nourish another person. Think of the ripple effect that can be created when we nourish someone. One kind, empathetic word has a wonderful way of turning into many. Friends and neighbors, in gratitude for the God who blesses us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, let us live with civility, 
be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Amen.